What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Round Tripper here on 89.1 WXVU. And after some technical difficulties and my own idiocy, we are now on the air. I am joined by Conrad Bayer and Matt Wood. No Ben Boy today, but guys, how we doing? I'm good. How are you guys doing? I'm good. I'm good. You know, rainy today, but... A little, little rainy today. You know, move, move past it. No, nothing to complain about? Yeah, not really. How's everyone's weekend? Could have been better. Oh, all right. <laughs> Dark start to the show. I didn't. I didn't do much this weekend. It was fine. It was, you know, that, a chill weekend. That were what? Uh, yeah. what was your what was your take on the softball scrimmage yesterday? How do you think the team looked? Um, showed some nice nice progress. It was a good practice. Yeah. Uh, apparently, we're playing those guys. We um, are playing those guys next week. Next week, right? Yeah. yeah so Ben Moy's got to pick up the slack a little bit. Moy struck out. Yeah. In slow he, pitch softball. Yeah, you can't be striking out in slow pitch. But pitching to Pat, your own team. Pat was pitching to him. I was pitching to him. Um. But yeah, I think that's I think a rough one. Right? Yeah, I, I like playing catcher. It's much better than third base. Yeah, you don't like third base too no, much, do you? Not at all. <laughs> I have a screamer come right in my face. You, you like having Saad, though, scoop up those grounders that come, come in a hole. Yeah, yeah so. I stand on the third baseline and hopefully the ball yeah. will come to me. Yeah, so that's nice. So it is Monday, March 25th, 7.07 p.m. Of course, we got to go through the shout-outs, and we have an extended list of shout-outs this time. Oh, boy. So very exciting. So we got thank you to Connor, Jules, Shannon, Jordy, Sam, Megan, Joe, Rebecca, Fiona, Christian, Emma, Rick, Dan, Jane, Jack Sherwood, Brian. Are they listening? I hope so. They told me to shout them out, so they, they very well better be listening. They don't listen. We're no going back to that listening. room. Yeah, it's just that whiteboard. Call, right. call, call them during the break. Make sure they're listening. Yeah, Rick, you better be listening right now. I'll call them up. My Uncle Ken listens on his drive home. Marie Jo Johnny, happy birthday to Mike Rayo, who is in our pool, actually, and doing pretty well for the brackets. Yeah, he's got Duke, just like me. Uh, Mom, Dad, Bears, Woods, Moyes, whole squads here. Thank you to anyone for listening and everyone for listening. Of course, as always with our announcement, podcast is live on iTunes and Spotify. I post it every Tuesday morning. Just search Round Tripper and you see it every single time. Subscribe. Like and subscribe. And listen. Uh, again, the phone. At least turn it on. At least turn it on. Yeah, just leave it on in the background if you don't listen to it because yeah. then it counts as a download for us. So that's always good. Uh, phone line is open again. Skype Patrick Zhang 315 all lowercase. We're using that for our second segment. Jordan Chikarone's calling in. The big man. I'm excited. He's oh, excited. He's ecstatic. He's excited. I'm I'm so excited for Jordy mm. to call in. Anyone I missed that you guys want to say hi to? I think that's everybody. I Can I just zone out? Did I name started? the university there? I think I think I think we're good. You're missing about fifty people. Yeah, I'm, I totally am. I'll, I'll get those angry texts soon enough. All right, so moving into it, it's over. The 2018-19 Villanova Wildcats season came to an end on Saturday night in Hartford. But a lot more than just the season ended for the Cats after that brutal loss to oh, Purdue. Jeez, Pat. I know. Disaster so I, far today. I know, I know. The last surviving members of the 2016 championship team championship team played their final game with the university in Phil Booth and Eric Pascal. Yes, a really dark start. And with their departure comes the end of an era for Villanova basketball. As much as we all do not want to admit it, we knew what was coming on Saturday night. Villanova was overmatched by a team that had a dominant force on the inside and a really annoying haircut to go with it, as well as a star that shot the lights out from deep. Simply put, Purdue did, not, did to Villanova what Villanova did to everyone else last year. The loss stings, but this flaw, flawed team overachieved this year on their way to a regular season and tournament Big East titles. There's no one way to describe the season for the Cats. There were head scratchers like the overtime home loss to Furman or the abysmal second half against St. John's. There was some downright embarrassment with the home blowout loss to Michigan and the first Big Five loss in six years to Penn. But all was far from lost. We saw a team lacking an identity at the start form into a cohesive unit by the end of the year. It's all been said before, but we saw Demir Cosby Roundtree dominate in Orlando as the Cats took home the Advocare Invitational over Florida State. Never forget that we won that. We saw Jermaine Samuels find some confidence. Colin Gillespie improved his stroke from deep, all while the freshman became ingrained on the main line, with a special shout-out to Sadiq Bey, who played in 73% of Villanova's minutes this season. You good over there, kid? <laughs> this era is over. It's done. But that does not mean that there's any reason to be upset. During the stretch, Villanova reached the pinnacle of college basketball. Not once, but twice. 
With the culture of attitude, a trio of battle-tested juniors, a crop of sophomores on the rise, and possibly the most talented recruiting class, not crass, in Nova history on its way, just as one curtain closes, a new one will rise. So, Villanova lost 87-61 on Saturday to Purdue. What's our main takeaway from this one? (laughs) All right. Nice, nice. I I give you a couple minutes to relax and get your thoughts going, and it's like, oh my god, I have to speak now. Yeah. Uh, uh, So, I mean, my main takeaway is uh, even though I didn't think Purdue was that good, even though they were at the top of the Big Ten this year, um, I think Purdue's pretty good. They're they're a really good team, and Carson Edwards is for real. I thought he was just getting, like, overhyped because he was in the Big Ten, Big Ten Player of the Year. He plays at Purdue, not exactly the biggest name of schools for basketball stars looking to get into the NBA. And turns out I was completely wrong and he's for real. He's a very good... Just a little. Yeah, just, just a little bit. He's uh, just a fantastic player and really went off with 42 points against Nova over the weekend. And then Harms is just a big man that really like Villanova always does, they don't ever really have a big man. And then you put a guy that's a seven-footer, like there's just nothing you can really do to defend that when your tallest guy is like six nine. Um, so I mean that that's that's just what I saw. Carson Edwards is for real, and Arms is very very tall. Very tall. Great. <laughs> My biggest takeaway from the game is it, it, the game showed a glaring weakness in Villanova throughout the whole season, and it's really put, been put more on display during the tournament postseason run. Is how deep or lack of depth the, the team really has. They play six-man rotation come tournament time. And when you're playing a team like Purdue and nothing's working and Purdue's scoring a ton of points, you want to be able to switch something up and give them a new look or do something else, put a different guy out there. And Villanova doesn't have the the talent on the roster to be able to do that. They only they only sub in one guy off the bench being Demir, Demir Cosby Roundtree. So, I mean, only, only shoving six guys out of the court when those six guys can't get it done it makes it pretty tough to win like that. So my biggest takeaway is that Villanova was never expected to be a national championship winner or I mean, you could you could say they're a contender because a lot of teams can be contenders, but this was this was not a year that was pegged as uh, we better get to the Final Four kind of year. Um, but being said, uh, it was a it was a good year overall. It was a good it was a good season. It's tough to come back after losing four four guys to the to the NBA. Um, but yeah, it, it was a show. It showed a lack of depth uh, from the uh, from the Wildcats in that game. Yeah, certainly, and you can't kill them on the fact that Carson Edwards scored forty two with nine three pointers. That's just Carson Edwards going unconscious there. Uh, Purdue also shot 16 of 30 from deep. 16 of 30. That's really, really hard to do. So 53% for them compared to Villanova going at 29%, 11 for 38. Uh, Harms, of course, as Conrad brought up, 18 and 9, did whatever he wanted down low. Mm -hmm. Just no one on Villanova could match up with him. And then the big thing came also from Harms and as well as the other uh, people in the the, uh, Purdue front court and that Purdue out-rebounded Villanova 42 to 24. You're not going to win too many games when you get out-rebounded that badly. So you look at those aspects, and it's just Purdue just completely outplayed Nova. Second half was better from the Cats, but I mean, that's not saying much, being that Villanova scored 24 points in the first half. And then to piggyback off of Matt's point as well, the bench production was killer. Just there's no bench production coming, unfortunately, really from the end of the season when when Cremo started to go cold and Cosby Roundtree, we we know what he brings. He's not going to score you a lot of points. He's there to grab offensive rebounds and add a little bit of size. Um, in 17 minutes, Cosby Roundtree did not score a basket, did take down four rebounds. Uh, Swider in eight minutes scored five points. That was in garbage time at the end. Cremo in eight minutes, 0 for 2 shooting, no points, three rebounds. It's really hard to win with only five guys producing. And that's basically what yeah. we saw. Yeah, and even if, even if you could say that Villanova's five guys, they weren't playing up to the caliber that Purdue was playing at. But even if, you, even if they were for stretches of time, the problem is you're only playing five guys, so they're getting no rest. And by yeah. towards the end of the game, I mean, you can condition as much as you want. If you're playing an entire starting five, 48 minutes to, uh, in a game trying to win, it's it's almost impossible to do. You need you need someone, some inkling of coming off the bench and giving you something. And Villanova just didn't really have it this year in the tournament. No, they they didn't. So on Phil Booth and Eric Paschal, big, big ones you really want to focus on from this game or from really their Villanova careers. Looking back at them, how would you define the two of them? What is their legacy here leaving campus now? I would say Phil Booth is a guy who stepped into, who accepted his role during their first national championship run as a guy who's going to be coming off the bench, 
who was a great spark plug, great sense of energy, and you really saw him mature over the years at Villanova as guys came and went. And he was kind of the constant, the constant um, anchor holding the team together. And you saw him through the course of the year. He kept building and building and building. And by senior year this year, he was a, a established leader and the leading scorer and the leading go-to guy of the team, um, which is which is fantastic for him. It, it shows you that the growth he's made as a person and as a basketball player. Um, and Eric Pascal on the other end uh, end of it, being a transfer from Fordham, um, came in. I would say a little bit of the unknown. He was a great player at Fordham, but Fordham is a lot different than Division One Villanova. Um, and it was great to see how he, over his time at Villanova, um, elevated elevated his game to the the competition around him and in practice. I'm sure every single day, Coach Wright would get on him. And it was, I was, it was at, at the end of the day, it's great to see both these guys progress so much from when they first got here to now. And they'll be, they leave Villanova with an uh, established resume as being two of the most successful college basketball players there are. Yeah, and I, I'd like to go back on Phil Booth. He's just like a winner. He'll do whatever it takes. Like he's the scoring as he's been more relied upon has gone up every year. Um, like in this past year, he went from averaging 10 points a game and jumped all the way to 18 because that is what this team needed. They needed a leading scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Phil Booth just stepped into that role. He was really able to do anything Coach uh, Jay Wright wanted him to do. And you could really tell he was the emotional leader of that team with just all the response from all the guys after the game on Saturday and who they were really thanking. They were just like, I learned so much from these two guys with Phil and Eric and just how they handled themselves after the game. You could really tell that Phil meant a lot to this team and it's going to be a big problem. While we are excited about next year, about all this young talent that's coming in and the young guys progressing, missing Phil, that's that's going to be a big big loss. That's the heart and soul that this team was and has been for the last three or four years. Um, so that's big. And then Pascal was just, he, he could do anything he wanted to do on the court um, with his just freakish athleticism and how far he's come from. I remember our freshman year, it was, he couldn't do, uh, I believe he couldn't shoot. Or there was that, that, that first stretch, mm-hmm. he could not hit a three for the life of him. Yeah. And now you've seen him pull up from three and it confidently was and he confidently makes and he makes it most of the time. Um, both these guys have come really far away and have been a part of probably the best stretch of Villanova basketball ever and maybe possibly college basketball. And it's especially Phil. It's He's such a big part of this team. It's going to be interesting to see how all the players react when he's not there next year. Yeah, I would definitely say most college ba- – there's some college basketball players are great players in their own right. But they don't really buy into the culture of a program. They only they only be there for say a year or two. Some of these top level guys, and so you you say how great players they are. I don't remember like oh oh say uh, Austin Rivers for example went to Duke for a year right Doc Rivers kid and phenomenal player. Sure he bought into the culture of Duke, but he was there for a year. How much can he really give to a program sure. in that sense? When you talk about two guys uh, filled with Eric Pascal, Dave, their whole lives have been filled with basketball. They give given everything to this program. You know they've given they've given their time. They've Phil Booth stay an extra year. Um, they've they've given so much to this program, and you can really take away from it that you've seen their growth only as not only people, but but what they've given they've given back to the Villanova community. Like there are two guys that can come to Villanova whenever they want and always be regarded as these Hall of Fame Hall of Fame kind of guys because that's that's who they are. And a lot of guys in, that go to that go to school, they only could stay for a year, and they could come back ten years from now, five years from now, and a lot of people might not know who they, who they even are. Phil Booth, Eric Pascal can come back. Five ten years from now, everyone's going to know who they are. Yeah, absolutely. My dad said it, and that these two guys—they're going to have their pictures in in the Fenneran Pavilion, and they mm-hmm. completely deserve it. And and you nailed it when you said the word winner, because that's what both of them are. Uh, you see it in the the posts from all the different Villanova players talking about what they mean to them. You see from the former players, Brunson, Bridges, uh, Hart, all these guys going back and talking about spending time with Booth and Pascal. These guys really were two perfect, like shining examples of Villanova basketball and what Jay Wright is looking for in it. Uh, on Phil Booth, exactly. Uh, he goes down as the most games ever played by a Villanova Wildcat, 148. He's got the most NCAA tournament games as a Villanova Wildcat with 16. His record in those 16 games, 14-2. and two. It's just, you, you just, You're not going to see that from anyone else. Uh, he finishes his career with over 1,500 points, almost 400 rebounds, and almost 400 assists. So you even get a balance from that uh, when it's all said and done. Eric Pascal, how impressive Pascal has been coming over from Fordham, was the A-10 freshman of the year at Fordham. Transfers has to sit out a year 
watches Villanova win a national championship, then comes in, as we were talking about, just this athletic freak really. Didn't really have a position because he was kind of undersized, couldn't really shoot, but was had this awesome ability to get above the rim and turns himself into really what a star here at Villanova, especially this last year, going off of last year too in the Final Four. Uh, he scored 24 points against Kansas in the absolute blitz of them uh, in in the Final Four. And for Pascal, finishes with almost 1,300 points at Villanova, almost 600 rebounds, 60 blocks. Both go down as all-time Wildcats. And I think that sums it up pretty simply there. Yeah. They're, they're always going to be remembered here, and they're going to the Villanova Hall of Fame real soon. One, 100%. So moving off of just those two then, grade the season for Villanova. Give it a letter grade. How do you look back at this year? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a B plus because while it was a little bit of a underachieving year in terms of what kind of the last three three four years have been of national championship caliber um, and really just owning the Big East, they still did walk away with a Thanksgiving a break title. Don't ever forget it. Went over Florida State, who's still in the tournament. That's right. Um, and then they won the the Big East regular and um, tournament championships, which obviously it was a little bit of a down year for the Big East, but you still credit them for winning that. Um, so, yeah, B-plus because while it was a little bit of a, a down year for the program, you're still winning championships in in what you're, you're put in these places to win championships, and they won, so you can't discredit that, but... Um, they did live, leave a little bit to be desired, um, just all in general throughout the season. You ever get a final grade for a class, and it's like a like a seventy nine point eight, and an eighty is a B minus, and you're sitting at a C plus, and you're praying your teacher like, will round please round up or something up. like that. Did you round up? I would say Villanova was an eighty nine point nine. Yeah. And if you want to round up, you can. If you don't want to round up, you can't. So I would say a B plus, A minus kind of season. Um, I would say if they had beaten Purdue this weekend, it's an A. It's it's an A. Yeah. From what what they've been dealt at the beginning of the season, the lack of really, the lack of depth on the team that we talked about, the lack of kind of star players that we've seen in the past. But they still walked away with the, I mean, gifted or not, they walked Mm -hmm. away with the Big East regular season title and they walked away with the Big East tournament championship. That in itself, for most programs, is an A season right there, right? But Villanova, obviously, the success that they've had, they've um, the expectations are a little bit higher than that, right? Mm-hmm. So I would I would say first round match against St. Mary's, close game, but they they pulled it out in the end. So that's that's a high that's a high point in terms of tournament wise. But this performance against Purdue was not exactly what you would like to see in terms of a final game of the season, not even really being competitive, which is why you can knock it down to maybe a B plus A minus kind of thing. But I would say they're right there. Right, the 89.9, right there on the cusp of a B plus A minus. It was a good season overall. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head there because I give it a B plus, and the only reason it's a B plus is because of the expectations yeah. that have formed kind of from the past few years. You hit it all with all the points with the championships. So you think about two conference titles and a tournament, an NCAA tournament win. That is an amazing year for a yeah. lot of schools, and it's still a good year for Villanova. The reason I just bring it down are just some of those losses were so brutal. Uh, the ones that I, I, I named in the monologue that I'll just say that those moments, I think, were you saw some regression. So that's what holds me back a little bit. But otherwise, this year honestly went better than expected. It did, because yeah. we didn't know what to... The, going into the year when Villanova, I believe, was ranked eighth, that was too high. That was off of last year. Uh, the, the team was never going to play to that but they still were successful. It, yes, it came in spurts, and they also had some failure in spurts, as we saw with some losing streaks, but you take a B-plus out of this season. I, I, you take a B-plus, Eric and Phil got their curtain call, and so yeah. you, you go through with it. It, tell, it tells you what kind of pedigree Villanova was established. Exactly. They've moved into that top echelon, Duke, <clears throat> echelon Duke UNC, um, Kentucky to an extent, caliber program, which is unbelievable, which is crazy to talk about, because we're here talking about they're the biggest tournament. They're biggest tournament champions and the biggest regular season champions, and yet we're not sure if they had a good season or not. Exactly. You no. Know? Which is, which tells you how good they really are and what kind of expectations have been put on this team because how good they've been in the past. Perfect. And then so, give me one reason to get excited for next year's team. Just one. Jermaine Samuels. That goes mine. <laughs> I just think the way he was able to finish out the year with. 
I was able to really gain confidence in that shooting stroke at the top of the key and what he was able to do on the defensive end. You knew the energy was always going to be there. And next year, um, I feel really confident with having him as one of the um, upperclassmen leaders of that team that he'll be able to show um, what that attitude means that they keep that is all over Villanova basketball. And I think he has a chance to become that emotional leader of that team next year. And I think he's going to do a great job stepping to the role that Phil and Eric left of kind of that, the leadership on this team. So one of our friends, Ben Moy, <laughs> sent a text message two days ago in one of our group chats. And what it was, was it was a, it was a poll that he had responded to. And the question was, can you can you rate your experience or rate any improvements that you can have in terms of the Villanova basketball ticket mm-hmm. generating app? And basically, and Moy went off. He grilled into him and yes, said, he did. "Said the same people are winning the lottery every single time." So this is this is like the lottery for tickets and what students get win tickets to the different games. And he grilled into him and he said, "The same the same students are winning tickets to all the games and." The kids who've never gone still aren't going. Because, Shout out Saad. Yeah. Because, yeah <laughs> Poor guy never got tickets. Same with me. Too, I, right? I didn't get tickets to a single game all year. And, and, he, and he ripped into him about it. I think there's definitely a flaw in that system in terms of ticketing. So my reason for me to be excited next year is hopefully they listen to Benjamin. Oh, Ryan I love and it. they fixed this app that they've been trying to He went to, outside the box. Trying so to deal proud. with. And hopefully that we that anyone who wants to get a ticket can get a ticket because when Villanova was playing Quinnipiac at Wells Fargo Center and I didn't get ticket ticketed to anything and the place is half empty, let me know how that's a thing. So I'm most looking forward to looking to uh, the algorithm being fixed from this grad student who apparently is in charge of the, the ticket app for next year. Rant. I love it. I love that. It's great point. It's so, it's so true, though, because the ticketing was not ideal, to, uh, to say the least here. So my one reason to look forward to next year... Uh, looking forward to the recruiting class, just the keying on one, it's Eric Dixon. Because as we talked about with Villanova, size has been a problem. Dixon comes in, is coming in as a freshman at 6'7", 250. That is a big man. He fits Jay Wright's a kind of prototypical power forward that he could step out and shoot the three. Uh, he's a huge rebounding presence. He already had the perfect Villanova basketball quote uh, where he was quoted saying, I could have gone to anywhere else in the country and become a star. I came to Villanova to win. It's a perfect mentality that you want. And I think Dixon's going to play a huge role in this team next year. Any other final final thoughts you want to get out on Villanova season before we hit it to our first break? I'm excited to see what Cole White is about next year. He's heard yep. from us much this mm-hmm. year, but it seems like Coach Wright really likes him. I've I remember I've heard I've heard about him. He's from the the Boston area. He's from Rhode Island. Yeah, he's from Providence. Rhode Island. Uh, but he played on same similar AAU teams as some of the kids in my high school. And I've heard I've heard he's a ridiculous player. So I'm really excited to see what he's about next year. And also, if Javon Quinterly transfers or not, I think he's going to transfer. That's that's the storyline. Uh, so I think yeah. he stays. I think. Uh, I think he transfers. We're, we're, we're bringing in two guards next year. Yeah, it's true. One guy's number fourteen recruit in the country. Quinterly showed no inkling of defense imaginable. Gillespie's not going anywhere. Yep. I'm just saying. He's going to end up at NC State and be a star. It's going to be Dennis Smith Jr. Watch. Oh, all right. So (laughs) we're going to send it to our first break. We've got our tournament recap with Jordan coming up next. We've also got MLB Miscellaneous and Nova Nation packed show here on Round Tripper. And we will be right back. Back here after some technical difficulties again. <laughs> Matt has decided to play around with the phone, and I think we just called somebody. I'm, I'm on the call with him right now. Matt's on the phone with someone right now. So, uh, But we are joined by our guest, Jordan. Jordan, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So we are into the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. How are we feeling about the tournament so far? A little underwhelming. Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. What do you think, Matthew? Uh, it's been pretty scratched so far. I don't like it at all. My bracket's doing terrible because I always pick the upsets, and of course, this year there's no upsets. I was talking to Saad about this yesterday. Yeah, it's a it's a one and a two and a three versus a four in every single bracket. It's unbelievable. There's there's a five. And oh. it's a 12. Oh. Don't forget the 12. Oh, Oregon. Who Oregon. Had Who's going to get draw ever, and for some reason is a 12 seed. That's uh, uh, fact. All right. I took I had Cincinnati and Iowa State in my elite. Eight, and, I had Cincinnati. And they both lost. Yeah, that's that, rough. That, it's the first year since 09 that all one, two, three seeds have advanced. It's gross. So. It's awful. It's, 
It's not fun. Yeah, it's awful. Uh, yeah. So, what do we think is the best game in the tournament so far? Jordy, we'll start with you. All right. Well, some of the obvious ones I wasn't around to watch, unfortunately, but I will still give that my favorite that I got to see was definitely uh, Kentucky against against the boys against Wofford. Yes, he said Wofford. I, I, let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know it's Wofford for, for the <laughs> listeners, but for the listeners. It, it should be Wofford. Yeah, you know, you, the Terriers. You like the dogs, but anyway, I, I, like, I like the good. Yeah, the good dogs versus cats battle as they play the wild cats. Um, everyone likes a good dogs and cats debate, but honestly, that I thought it was very interesting to watch, and in that it was like the underdogs versus the big blue blood program. Um, they had a great storyline going into the tournament. A lot of seniors, especially with Fletcher McGee, putting up a lot of threes, and that profile definitely showed against the blue blood Kentucky team. And it was very interesting to watch the battle of the boards and the paint scoring versus the threes coming from Wofford. Um, especially seeing these young and hungry guys who uh, have been with their team for a while and want to show show their skills, especially after not being recruited to a big school. And there were some just really interesting stats like early in the game. I think Wolford was up 12 nothing in three-point scoring, and Kentucky was outscoring him in the paint 10-2, to two, which is just crazy to see that when the score was only a two-point game. So very exciting. It, it was. What, what happened with Fletcher McGee in that game? You know, you can't bring your shots to every game, and it was a little cold. I, I, I can't hold that against him too much. However, I still think at some point you got to stop shooting. There were other guys on that roster that were that were putting up solid three-point numbers. One guy, I don't even, I don't remember his name, but he was five for six in the game, and he still didn't get to take any shots in the last two minutes. It was all Fletcher McGee. He had none of them. So you got to stop eventually. Yeah, that that one stung for for the Terriers because they were a fun team. All right, Conrad, what was your game? I'm gonna go with. What is probably a pretty obvious one that happened last night with the Duke-UCF game. Um, just because Duke is obviously the team that everybody in the country is watching. They have been all year because ESPN has put them on everything, only talk about Duke. Um, so that played into it. Um, but then you have the Zion versus uh, Taco Fall um, matchup, which was just fun to watch. Nobody really knew what to expect because Taco is... 7'6 with an 8'4 wingspan against Zion, who's just his own freak of nature. Um, it was just interesting to see how Duke never really could. They tried to pull away a bunch of times, and UCF kept reeling them in. And, um, of course, uh, what should have been the buzzer beater to end Duke, um, just barely rolling out, I think. The last, the last few minutes of that game were really intense, which you haven't seen in a lot of games. So I think that make the made the Duke UCF game probably the game of the tournament so far. Yeah, I would definitely agree that that so far has been my favorite personal game to watch, and I would say for the general public, it's probably the most viewed game because everyone's going to tune in to see Duke, and then when it's really close towards the end, people are going to want to want to see what goes down, and people are going to be at the edge of their seat. Sure. Another game that I liked more on a personal level was John Morant playing Marcus Howard in the first round. Yep. Wow, Murray State blew him out, John Morant. What did he have? 17, 15, and 10 or something like that? I, I think he, he might have had more assistant points even. It was that impressive. He had 16 assists, I believe. Might have been 12 points? I don't know why I'm thinking. I mean, it was more rate, than that, but it was, it was around at that. At any rate, I know, I know the guy took eight shots or something like that all game, and they blew him out by 30, and he's the best player on the court by a mile. And it was really interesting to see what he had to do because a, a lot of basketball savants, you can call them, basically the the guys I look in terms of recruiting and in terms of the NBA draft, I mean, um, I have this guy go number two right behind Zion, ahead of R.J. Barrett, ahead of his uh, other teammate Cam Reddish. And it was really interesting to see what this guy was capable of because being on Murray State on a much smaller platform as compared to Duke, people really haven't heard about him and really haven't been able to see what he's been able to do. And this game was just kind of coming out already fairly very similar similar to, um, to Steph Curry when mm -hmm. he was coming out a few years ago, not necessarily to the same extent because a lot of people already knew John Morant's name. They just had never really seen him play before. Not a lot of people knew who really Steph Curry was at the time. But in terms of a coming out party on the biggest stage you can you can do and you can be on in in college basketball and taking down a five seed Marquette who was top ten in the country at one point. So that was that was on a personal level my favorite my favorite game. Yeah, no, another good game. And then I'm gonna go with Auburn, New Mexico. Shout out Dan for for that <laughs> one because Dan was. Uh, well, Dan had a rough one with that one. Dan had New I Mexico. also had New Mexico State. New, New Mexico, Mexico State. State. Yeah, so 78-77, Auburn won in that one. And it was just a lot of fun because it was really back and forth. Auburn it plays at a really high tempo. New Mexico State attempted to match that. Uh, Auburn was up by around 15. Um, it 
pretty much early in the uh, in the second half, and then New Mexico State just closed the gap. They had a chance to tie it up there at the end. I still don't know why he passed out when he had the wide open layup. Yeah, three ball didn't fall, missed one of three or made one of three free throws. Auburn holds on for the win. And then just like that, they go and annihilate Kansas in the next game. So Auburn's a tough out. Auburn is a very, very tough out. I have a feeling they'll get touched on in a little bit. But that's my game so far. Next one, most surprising upset. Not much to go off of. But, Jordy, what would you think? Mm, I was going to honestly say most surprising upset, if it counts, while they didn't win, like Connor already touched on it, definitely the UCF-Duke scoreline was most surprising. Just that they kept it close. Yeah, I would say the most surprising overall game, while it wasn't a close upset, was honestly Purdue versus Villanova. The fact that Purdue was able to beat us in that fashion and put up that amount of scoring, while I don't discredit our play, I think it was an immaculate shooting night. It was still incredibly impressive to see what they were able to put together against our team. Yeah, that game was... I, I did not expect Purdue to come out shooting the way they did in that one. No way. I mean, I guess... You got to pick one of the few upsets that did happen. I guess I think the most surprising one, well, I, it was a 12-5, and a lot of people had it. For me, it was Liberty over Mississippi State. Um, uh, there's not much reasoning behind it just because, I mean, there's not many to choose from, but I remember watching the Liberty game, and they, they looked like they were the better team, and they won that game. And Liberty's just such a small school. You didn't think they would be able to beat up on an SEC team like uh, Mississippi State. I would go with the first round matchup, Ohio State versus Iowa State. Mm. Ohio State fell into the tournament somehow. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I still don't agree with the fact How that they yeah. got in, but they got in. They come up against Iowa State first round, who in their own right, Iowa State is a very, very good team this year. They're, they have some pieces that can play. And... While they didn't beat it by much, they beat it by three points in the first round. Ohio State had no recent business being in the tournament in the first place. So out of out of all the first round match, I mean, out of all the matchups, there really haven't been a whole. There haven't been really any upsets. That that or Syracuse losing by ten to Baylor. While was a, Syracuse was an eight seed, Baylor was a nine seed. Syracuse is one of those teams that come tournament time, their two three zone could mess up anyone, and we've seen it over the years. They've been an eleven seed and they've they've gone all the way to the final four. So out of, out of, and of course Bayheim at at Syracuse being the experienced coach that he is, um, always can cause damage in the playoffs But I, in, the, in the tournament time. But I would say to the Syracuse game and the Ohio State game were two, two, two you know, noteworthy games. Yeah, definitely. And just to, to quickly touch on, since you've already said it, for me, it was the Murray State Marquette. And it's not because Murray State won. It's like you said, just because of the pure dominance that Murray State really ran over Marquette in that game. Marquette was completely overmatched, especially in the second half. On to the next one, most impressive team. Now, this one could be interesting. Jordan, what do you think? Um, you know, there's been a lot of impressive teams right now, but when I was making my decision, I had to think of strength of schedule and strength of the opponents. Sure. Um, and for me, the one that's been most impressive has to be Texas Tech. Ah, that's Just the mine. fact that they, <laughs> they had to play such a hard matchup in the last round against Buffalo. It was a game that I thought would be a lot closer, but winning that game by 20 really is a statement win for their tournament resume and really should turn some heads over at Michigan for this next matchup. I'm really excited for that one. Yeah, you, you can book it. Texas Tech's going to the Final Four. Texas, I have that as well. Texas Tech is going to the Final Four. I completely agree. They're my most impressive team that I've seen so far. Buffalo is a good team. They really are. And Texas Tech just absolutely stifled them. And they had nothing going on offense. CJ Massenburg wasn't able to get going. Watch out for the Red Raiders. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to stay in that West region. I'm going to go with Gonzaga. Um, just because they were really the only number one seed that really didn't have any scares in that first weekend. And with how they are able to it was a 16 team, but manhandle Farley Dickinson and then really control Baylor. Um, I know, at least personally, I went to the tournament thinking, what is this Gonzaga team? Um, they're blowing everybody out in their conference, but their conference is not very good. And St. Mary's beat them in the tournament. Nobody knows how that happened. But they're really, they really were able to show why they were got that number one seed and why they were one of the top ranks teams all year, um, even though they do play a very weak in a very weak conference. So it, it showed to me that they're, they're a real threat to do something possibly. Out of all the teams that have played so far, again, have, haven't really been any upsets and every single game's kind of gone how you would expect for the most part. Like I think about um, a team like Michigan who's come up against 15 ranked Montana, 10 ranked Florida, and they've beat them both pretty handily. Um, 
you could say that's been impressive, but again, just strength schedule, like Jordan said, in terms of the competition really hasn't been all that impressive. I would say Oregon in terms of a team that you didn't really expect much from, yet here we are in the Sweet 16 and Oregon's still kicking around. Granted, they beat a Wisconsin team who they were, I think they were one-point underdogs going into that game. So again, kind of a pick which is a little, it was very interesting at being a 12 seed in the first round. But then backing that up and beating a UC Irvine team that, wow, there are UC Irvine's a 13 seed in their own right. They were hot. They just, they, they were very hot. They, they won 17 in a row. They just took down the four seed Kansas State and Oregon beat UC Irvine by 20. So in terms of a team that you didn't really, I didn't really expect that from, or I could have very easily have envisioned Oregon making it this far, the way that they've done it, beating Wisconsin by 18 and then beating UC Irvine by 19. Out of all the, out of all the teams that have been playing so far, though, that's a team that kind of stands out to me as not necessarily um, been super overly impressive compared to like a Duke or a, uh, Tennessee or Purdue or Michigan State that kind of way, but in terms of what their expectations were and how how they've surpassed them, that is a team that stands out to me. Yeah, and like I said, mine is also Texas Tech. So, team to watch going forward. So, this is an interesting one. So, you can interpret this basically however you want. But what'd you think, Jordan? Um, for me, I kept it simple, and you were right. We are back on Auburn. Mm, I thought I that Auburn I know you. was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I think they have to be the most interesting team to watch just because they're the hottest team right now in all of college basketball after starting off before even the tournament upsetting Tennessee in the uh, SEC finals which is already just an incredibly impressive feat and ever since then they've been rolling with a hot win over Kansas they're hotter than anyone else right now I think they can stay hot and give UNC a good game and then I'm gonna go with Houston Houston's still rolling down there Uh, going up against Kentucky is going to be an awesome game uh, there so sticking uh, in, in that region, led by Corey Davis Jr., Armani Brooks. Houston likes to play small. They like to play fast. They're fun to watch. And especially if P.J. Washington doesn't play for Kentucky, they represent a very, very tough out for the Wildcats in the Sweet 16. Definitely have a shot at the Elite Eight. Houston is very good this year. I'm going to go with uh, the team that just beat us in Villanova and go with Purdue just because I want to see if Carson Edwards can keep it up with that hot shooting streak from three and just to see how teams deal with harms inside uh, with being such a presence down there and really be able to manhandle some guys inside. I just think they're, they, they surprised me so far, and I think with their matchup against Tennessee and possibly Virginia in the future, I think they have a legitimate shot of getting to the Final Four, and I think that would be really good for that program and really good for the Big Ten to see them um, kind of make that leap. So in terms of teams to watch going forward, I always think about what team could or has the ability to kind of spice things up or do something that is very unexpected in terms of the tournament. And right now for me, what would be really unexpected is, as we almost saw last night is Duke going down. Duke being the consensus number one overall seed in the tournament. I think something like 20 six or 27 percent of ES of brackets filled out on ESPN I think it was actually the percentage was higher than that had Duke winning the entire thing which in terms of millions and millions of brackets being filled out is unbelievable that more than a quarter of them have picked Duke yes yeah. so in terms of a team that I see that could potentially beat Duke going forward they, they the next matchup is against Virginia Tech I think Virginia Tech's a very very solid and capable team that has the ability to win but having what Duke has just been through in UCF last game they've learned how to they've They've experienced what a close game feels like, and I think they're really they've they've experienced almost losing in the in the round of thirty two, and a lot of people are building them to go really really far. So that that was their reality check right there. I I think they get by Virginia Tech no problem, but in the game after that, assuming Michigan State can hold off and beat LSU, Michigan State with with um, Tom Izzo at the helm coaching that team is a team that's very very capable of beating Duke going forward. They defend like crazy. Cassius Winston's one of the best point guards in the country. Duke still at the end of the day is four freshmen in their starting lineup and. You can say what you want about how talented they are. Four freshmen, when you're deep into the tournament, sometimes you need a guy who's a fifth-year, fifth fourth-year senior or, or junior who's been around the block a few times and has been in these close games, and Michigan State has that. So in terms of a team that can really spice things up, I think in terms of taking down a team that you, no one is really expecting to lose, I would say Michigan State in potentially an Elite Eight matchup against Duke, assuming, of course, that they both make it that far. Very, very fair. And then on to the fun part of the segment. Jordan, I know you're ready for this one. We are going with oh, yeah. Jordan's lock of the week here against the spread. What are we feeling? Well, this week, the most confident 
Most confident pick is definitely Virginia Tech taking the spread against Duke. Line currently is at seven and a half. Virginia Tech, the underdogs, of course. Um, this line started at eight points, and it's only been out for about a day now. I think it came out earlier today was when it first started. It's already down a half a point, and I expect it to go down a little bit more. Interesting stats about this number is that bet percent is pretty even amongst both of these teams. Virginia Tech is at 54% to Duke's 46. So a little bit more bets are being placed on Virginia Tech. However, 84% of the money is on Virginia Tech, which tells you that a lot of those big fish, a lot of the sharps, really like Virginia Tech in this matchup. And it is early. It's early before the game starts. So some of those numbers will change. But either way, people love Virginia Tech. It's a lot of points to lay. Um, obviously, Duke has had a close game, but but we don't care about that. It's all about the facts here, of course. So either way, Duke still has a 60.4% chance to reach the Final Four. So if you have them in your bracket, you shouldn't be that concerned about them losing. I have them there as well. However, no team this terrible at three-point shooting has ever made it to the Final Four. Duke is absolutely atrocious, and that's the key to beating them. And Virginia Tech is a perfect recipe. Whenever you make Duke shoot threes, they're not the best. That's exactly what UCF did. They actually ran a zone the whole game, and they forced 25 threes out of Duke, which is an incredible number, especially for a team so poor at three-point shooting. Duke only shoots 30.7% from three on the season, which is just the second worst in the entire tournament behind, I think it was actually UCF, who's already out. And then as opposed to that, Virginia Tech, with that perfect recipe, over half of the shots taken against Virginia Tech all season were threes. 50.4% of them were threes, which is the second highest forced three-point shooting rate in the country. So Virginia Tech's defense is all about making you take that three and just giving it to you. Virginia Tech also beat Duke earlier in the season straight up. Obviously, that was without Zion, but Virginia Tech was also missing Justin Robinson. Mm, yep. He was finally healthy and back in the lineup, and he's been looking great as well. Looks like he's not lost a step, fitting into the offense well, and it should be a great matchup against both of these teams. If this game is closed down the stretch as well, Virginia Tech has a very large free throw shooting advantage. They shoot 76% at the free throw line, while Duke only shoots 68 And even worse, you have Zion shooting 65, which brings down that number. And you know that Zion's going to be the guy to go to in the clutch. You saw it in the UCF game. Mm-hmm. He it's missed the, nice the free throw, one, And he missed the free throw. So it could happen again. And in a close game, I would still, I mean, Virginia Tech covers either way, but I expect this one to be close. You have Virginia Tech. That's a deeper team, much deeper, bigger rotation. They have no pressure at all while Duke is expected to go all the way. And they have no fear of Duke either because they've beaten him earlier in the year. So loving this pick. Hey, I like it. I think I do think that Duke wins. I think Virginia Tech keeps it close. I think Justin Robinson's been a huge getback for the Hokies. Uh, as we saw, Duke is not invincible with UCF being able to hang with them. I think you're 100% right. If you force Duke to shoot threes, you can absolutely stay in it with them. And it should be a really entertaining game. Yeah, definitely. Guys, we got anything else we want to do with tournament wrap-up here? I'll take that no. as a note. Jordan, do you have any final things you want to get off your chest? Uh, I would just like to highlight that the uh, final bracket showdown is going on between myself and Saad. Both of our brackets are in the 98th percentile in the ESPN, and everyone else is far below us. So keep an eye out on this uh, Purdue-Tennessee game. That could be a potential tiebreaker. They they pick the favorite every single game. Incredible. Wow. Where, Where is Saad, by the way? Why is he not on the air with you right now? Oh, I had to. I had to give him the space. He obviously likes a nice, quiet. <laughs> so, Jordan, thank you for coming on. Always fun. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Now to wrap up our, our tournament segment, we're gonna head to a break and then head into an MLB preview. This is Round Trip Round eighty nine one. Again, thank you to Jordan for calling in, giving us that breakdown, and we'll be right back. Back here on Round Tripper, about to delve into some Major League Baseball opening days on Thursday, guys. Yes, it is. Well, I mean, technically opening day already happened. We don't count that. Doesn't count. So the Mariners are 2-0. Matt, what do you think about the Mariners being 2-0? He was asleep during both games. <laughs> I was sleeping. I mean, so was I. Games, so. Actually, they were at, what are they, 2.30 in the morning? Uh, time? West Coast time. It was like 5 a.m., 5.30 first pitch. 5.30 a.m.? Yeah. Yeah, I was, did I you was wake sleeping. Up? Did I wake up? No. That woke up. No. I, did you wake up to watch it? I did. You What? I didn't wake up at 5.30 to watch it. He caught the end of both games. But what? I did I did wake up to see the end of the games. I mean if you I mean, yeah, you like baseball, you know that's your thing. Man. I do like baseball. I like sleep, so yeah. I should really look into sleeping more. That would probably help. Um so but the big thing from that is that Ichiro retired. So mm-hmm. 
I'll just go through some numbers here before I ask your guys your thoughts on that. But Ichiro, so playing in his age 45 season, played these two games last year, only played 15 games for Seattle. But he retires with over 3,000 hits, and that's after coming to Major League Baseball at age 27. Uh, 780 stolen bases, career on base of 355, uh, all-star games from 2001 to 2010. Just He goes down as probably the greatest foreign-born player of all time, definitely the greatest Japanese player of all time. I mean, you had thousands upon thousands, thousands, probably even millions. What did you just throw at me? <laughs> Matthew is causing mischief in the studio right now. It's not me. <laughs> but just that I'm, I'm under attack right now with, with shards of paper. But so Ichiro, one of the all-time greats, sad to see him go, but he played until he's 45, which is just a long time. Insane. So, heading most into- people work till they're forty-five. They actually work past till they're forty-five. Wow, <laughs> unbelievable that he worked that long. Wow. Most people actually work well past forty-five. Crazy that he worked till forty-five. Yeah, he's but done can now. You, can you imagine? I can't that? imagine worked working forty-five. Wow. I- oh my god. I can't imagine it. I'm yeah. a horrible I'm, life. Sounds like a terrible life. I'm trying, I thought life. we all like retire at like 35, 38. I was 38 and I'm ready to be yeah, done. I'm done. I'm clocking out. Give me a out. beach house in the Bahamas. Oh my god. Forty-five. Unbelievable. It's pretty crazy, right? So I don't know. Who knows what he's going to do for the rest of his life, but go into the season. He's, sto- going, he's going to the Bahamas. He's going to, he's going to play his vacation house in Mexico. What's the storyline you're most looking forward to this year? You can't tell me none of you. you neither of you uh, came up with all right, something. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Please give me something. I think the storyline will be... Yankees, Red Sox is my storyline. Both teams are rebuilding. Or have <laughs> rebuilt. rebuilding. Have rebuilt. Oh my God. They have they've retooled from the past year. The Red Sox, I mean, they haven't retooled at all. They've just, they just signed the same guys again, which is phenomenal. The Yankees are thinking they're going to get better. They're probably not. They're probably not going to be that good this year. The Red Sox might win another World Series, you know. And the, the titles keep rolling. It's title town. I'm trying to get a flag for next year. I might make it the tablecloth uh, on my uh, dining room table, a, a title town flag. Oh, boy. Yeah. What's your story to watch? I think it'll be interesting to see how the Angels do this year and see if Mike Trout will see an October baseball game and see the playoffs um, after signing that gigantic um, extension last week. I think it'll be really interesting to see if they're able to, you know, start turning around so he just doesn't go the next 12 years without playing a playoff game, which would be a real shame because he's the best player in baseball right now. And yep. the Phillies, too, to see what happens with Bryce Harper. Phillies. Yeah, that's the sign Angel McCutcheon, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah, no, the Phillies will be very interesting. I do have NL East down as one of my storylines. Another thing, look at that left side of the Padres infield, Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. That is going to be explosive to watch. Fernando uh, Tatis? Where's he from? Junior. He's Where's from. He from? Uh, I don't know where Tatis is from, actually. But, yeah, nice. so. Good to know you did your research. I, I did not look at his country of origin. I, I apologize. He is the son. You're letting us all down. He is See the, all the research we did for this segment? Yeah, well, guess what? He's a son of former New York Met, Fernando Tatis. Where's he from? It's his dad. Where, where's his dad from? I, I, he was a Met. You're supposed to know this. I, I don't know where he's from. <laughs> but what record What record does Fernando what? Tatis Sr. hold? His most consecutive games played as a Met. All right, give me a new one. No. Conrad? <laughs> You think I know this? Just come on, make something up. That's what I'd hit. Uh, most consecutive games with a hit for a Met. <laughs> he hit two grand slams in one inning as a St. Louis Cardinal. As a Cardinal? As a Cardinal. <laughs> Get him off. We don't like talking about him. Also, another storyline to see how uh, the White Sox do with Eloy Jimenez and if he lives up to the hype and the contract he just signed um, to see if he's actually worth all that money. Another storyline, will the Cubs go another 100 years before they win a World Series again? Yes. I think you gotta wait like another 98 years to see it. Well, I mean, it's gotta start somewhere. It's yeah. gotta start somewhere. Actually, one of my storylines is, are the Cubs dead? Was one of my storylines. Oh, I put big on. time. They're not dead. Big time. They're not dead. Bigly. They're not dead. False. That is a fake narrative. That's false. That's propaganda. Do you think the Red Sox are gonna win another World Series? No. No. Do you mean ever? Yes. This year, who's gonna win? Cubs. We'll get, we have World Series prediction at the oh, bottom do. of this. Oh, I see that <laughs> you on. did that. Come on. <laughs> so other storylines, I have Red Sox, Yankees, Rays, and that American League East will be fun. Remember the A's won 90 games last year. People forget. Do the Dodgers fall off? Pitching, yes. Pitching is not great. Clayton Kershaw going through another injury. Traded Puig and Kemp. Didn't they sign um, number 11? I forget his name, but he wears number 11. 
uh, they have Jock Peterson and Cody Bellinger still. Who, who did they just sign? They just got a guy an All Star. They just got an. I'm now you're making me look it up. Did, the, you bring up the Dodgers and then I give you some. I think Dodgers are still gonna make the playoffs, even though they did get rid of Puig. Um, I think I think they're still a really good deep team in that uh, NL West, um, and the Diamondbacks have kind of fallen off. So I think I think they're still gonna make the playoffs. Are they gonna make another World Series run? I do not think so, but um, they are. I think they're still gonna do pretty well. They signed AJ Pollock. Yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. So if, if Pollock can stay healthy, yeah, great. But he, he has definitely not been able to stay healthy in Arizona his his past couple of years. Uh, and then my final one was here we go again with Houston because they are locked and loaded and ready for another run. Team to watch. You didn't do it, did you? I told you earlier. Yeah. Uh, so my team to watch, I think, will be the Brewers or basically kind of the whole NL Central as a whole because everybody got better. Um, I just, with the Brewers, how they finished last year and catching the Cubs in that last month of the season. Um, I think it'll just be interesting because this is kind of the year, like when the Cubs won the World Series, they kind of got there a year early. They made some noise in the playoffs, but this is the year the Brewers have kind of been targeting. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how they do with all their guys having been up um, in the majors um, and their last couple guys coming now. And then just seeing how that starting pitching goes because that was really their problem last year and they kind of went with the opener in the playoffs. I think it'll be interesting to see how that goes and how they're able to keep up um, with what in in the for the most part with the Cardinals and the Reds both getting significantly better in the offseason, how that NL Central kind of works itself out and see if the Brewers are able to kind of come out on top. Even I, though it's really sad because the Cubs are still going to do it, but like I mean, it's interesting to watch the Brewers. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> my team to watch is the New York Mets, oh. not because not because they're going to do anything. They're going to make the playoffs or not. But if, they they all get, but if they all get hurt again, how terrible they're going to be. <laughs> and if in the last few weeks of the season, Tim Tebow makes it to the league <laughs> debut. That's why, that's why I'm, all, I'm all in on the Mets this year being awful. Robbie Cano gets hurt game two, done for the year. No shot of making the playoffs. And Tebow plays the last month, hits a buck 20 and one double. I feel like a buck twenty is a little generous. We saw him play a little bit. Was... We did see him play in person. Have you? I've never seen someone run so hard from left field to cover the third baseman on a single to right field. Yeah, I've he did. never seen someone run so hard. I've also life. never seen someone get a standing ovation in a spring training game for a ground out. You know, he um, he's the host of LeBron's, LeBron's show. new show. I think it debuts on Wednesday. Yeah, it's, so the concept. Of, so, so Bono, you you would like this. The concept of the show is all you have to do is run a mile, right? Sounds easy. But you're being chased by another guy so you get a whatever they allot as a head start and you're being chased by someone else and if you make it to the end and you they you don't get tagged or whatever you, you get a million dollars you right? win a million dollars or something but on the way for this mile there's a ton of obstacles you gotta get through it's a kind of ninja warrior kind of stuff i'm gonna but, watch it yeah but lebron's like, an executive Where producer do I up? and uh, i know right <laughs> but and, and lebron's an executive producer and tebow's like the host kind of Okay, so, so that's just another thing that LeBron's taking away time from basketball. That's to, what I'm saying. I, LeBron's move to LA was as much a PR stunt as it, it was, was a basketball move. But he's not really focusing on basketball. He's right focusing on on his <laughs> on his brand and life outside of basketball. To be fair, he's yeah. absolutely thriving, and LA is the exact yes. market to do it. But you know, their basketball team is kind of terrible. It's, yeah, it's it's not pretty. My team's to watch. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, sick. Uh, Cincinnati Reds have been on them all off season. They're going to be fun to watch. Uh, they've revamped their pitching. They added Yasiel <laughs> Matt Wood does not agree with me. But watch the Reds this year. They're going to compete in the NL Central, and it's going to be fun. And then as Conrad actually brought them up, and just for pure entertainment value, it's the LA Angels. Of course, you've got the Trout thing. You look through their position players. They've got Luke Roy. They've got Justin Board. They've got Zach Cozart. They've got Albert Pujols, Andrelton Simmons, Mike Trout, Justin Upton. Wow, that offense is awesome. Their pitching is horrendous. <laughs> they are going. These games are going to be softball games, and it is going to be so much fun to watch. They're led by Andrew Haney. Matt Harvey's out there, which I mean, He's not I, I hope the best for Harvey. Was he? Was he ten million? Yeah, eleven million, I think. Yeah, he's wait, very bad. At I, I right can't now. for a name, literally for a name. Yeah, uh, legitimately for a name, he is awful. I can't imagine him going to LA is probably is the best situation for him. It's really sunny. He might get a good tan. He might get a good tan, but, but he's I, gonna get in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. <laughs> uh, Otani's not pitching this year. Coming back from Tommy John, uh, Hansel Robles, former Met, will make sure to give up plenty of home runs there. Uh, there's just the the pitching is just a disaster. So again, you're gonna see a lot of softball games out in LA this year. So if you can make it out to Angel Stadium, I'd say go for it. 
right. I don't think I'll make it. I don't if, think I will either. Yeah, I don't if think I'm ever in the area in, that often. If I'm in the area, if I'm, if I'm in the area, I'll stop, stop by, by. Yeah. And, and go see my chat. For the random times, I'm just gonna be in LA this exactly summer. as one does exactly. Yeah. And finally, just give me a World Series prediction. Like who's gonna win or the matchup? The matchup and who wins. Uh, let's go with a fun one. Cubs, Astros. Cubs are going to win in six. Um, Sox versus anyone you want from the other division. <laughs> oh my God. Sox winning four. Oh my oh. God. I hate everything. And I have the Astros against the Cardinals. And oh, boo! <laughs> the Astros win in six. I've lost complete control of this show. Sox four is the best prediction out of all. We're going to send it to a quick break and then wrap Sox up with miscellaneous and around the Nova Nation. This is a very dejected and out of very dysfunctional round tripper. And we'll be back after the break. Boo Cardinals. Boo. Back on round tripper. Did, have my co-host woken up? Yeah, just took a little quick nap. How how we feeling now? Was it a power nap? That wasn't long enough for a power Revitalized. nap. Revitalized. Still a little okay. tired. I'm a little groggy right now. Let's see what happens. So we're here to close out the show with Miscellaneous and Nova Nation. Uh, starting off with Miscellaneous, Rob Gronkowski retired from the National Football League yesterday. And I'll let Matthew start it off there. Oh, uh, yeah. He's, well, he'll go down as, if not the best tight end of all time. He's definitely in the conversation. And I guess what the reports were is that his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, offered the idea that Grog could basically sit all of preseason and all of OTAs and all of minicamp to get healthy with the idea that he would just play the regular season and Gronk really wasn't about that, which I would understand as a as a as a person who's been in NFL locker rooms, that like as as someone like Gronk who's been in NFL locker rooms and has all been around his teammates, it's kinda kind of not a great look for a guy who just kind of think it's basically calling yourself better than everyone else and saying you don't need to practice and yet still being able to play in all these games and start over other guys that are playing a lot harder and working a lot harder than you are. And Gronk's body's just super, super beaten up. So that was that was one option that his agent proposed to him that he didn't really that he wasn't really about. So he is retired for now. And the way his agent worded it on Sports Center, which was so interesting, is basically his agent went on, went on Sports Center and said, "I would not be surprised at all if Rob Gronkowski came back." But that's just my own opinion. I haven't talked to Gronk at all, and don't don't put word don't put words in his mouth for what I've said. Basically saying, mm-hmm. put words in his mouth for <laughs> what back. I'm saying, and he's going to come back. Which is very interesting because Gronk has said nothing in terms of returning. He's, he hasn't said much. He's what he announced on Instagram today yep. that he was retiring, and mm-hmm. that was it. Yep. Yep. So yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's one of the greatest tight ends ever. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, um, no doubt about it. Um, but I do think it's interesting because there have been those kind of reports of, oh, if the Pats like have have a couple injuries and you know Tom Brady gives him a phone call, don't be surprised if Gronk comes back. I can totally see that. Um, I just see Gronk, his retirement life is going to be, I'm so jealous of him because he's probably going to be the best retired pro athlete of all time. Talk about a guy Um, who's capitalizing on his position in life right now in terms of athletics. There's a guy that's been injured a ton. He's won far too many Super Bowl rings. Nice. You know? Nice. (laughs) Drop that in there a little. Well, yeah. No, just just think about it. This guy can literally do whatever he wants. He can go on radio. He can go on TV. He can go to the WWE. People have said he can also party for the rest of his life. That's probably pretty likely. And is going to pay him a ton of money for Gronk to show up at your party. Yeah. Yeah. He he can legitimately do whatever he wants to do whenever it's going to make him happy. So hats off to the guy for that. (laughs) And he's also one of the hardest workers there, there has ever been. Yeah. You don't get to that point if you Yeah, no, exactly. You don't get to where he's been in life without working extremely hard. So let him do whatever he wants after it. Yeah, so for me, greatest tight end of all time, first ballot Hall of Famer, three-time Super Bowl champion, and just to think about the dominance of him too, when he was healthy, so he played at least 15 out of 16 games, the minimum amount of touchdowns he scored in a season was 10 from a tight end. <laughs> the minimum. And what was his, his best season? I forgot. 17. Oh, really? 17 touchdowns. I didn't forget. But I, I know you didn't forget. Wow, that's unbelievable. Uh, Connor said we need to go to the next segment because football season is over. We can talk about baseball again. Ichiro, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guys. Let me <laughs> tell you. That guy, <laughs> what, he flew out? He grounded out. Grounding he struck out. out looking and grounded out. Him and Tebow, out. same guy. Both get yep. standing ovation for grounding out. That's true. So is Tim Tebow the next so Ichiro? Tim Tebow, yep. first battle of famer. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> He's going to retire at 45. I don't know. So NHL regular season winding down. About seven or eight games left for, for every team. At this point, uh, just a couple, one playoff spot really up for grabs in both conferences right now. The East is down to Columbus, Carolina, and Montreal. 
Uh, most likely going to be Carolina and Montreal grabbing those spots in the West. You've got the Stars, the Avs, the Wild, and Coyotes. I did not include the Blackhawks because the Blackhawks there's are not making a chance. They, 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 I think they have to chance. run the table. There's just not a chance. They're not going to the playoffs. They're making the playoffs. No, they're not. You heard it here first. They're just they're not making the playoffs. I'm sorry for anyone that thinks they are. Uh, I would like to see the Coyotes make it uh, just because they've been such a disaster for so long, but they've gotten cold. The Islanders beat them uh, yesterday, but... It doesn't look like they're going to get there. Uh, on the golf, Paul Casey won the Valspar Championship at eight under par. He's the first ever back-to-back winner there. How'd Fleetwood do? Did he play? I, I didn't even check the leaderboard. I just saw who won. Well, nice to know you did your research. <laughs> yep. This is a long day today, man. The rain gets to you. Know, the the, yeah, exactly. It was raining. Well, Connor, what's your analysis of the Valspar Championship? He had the fewest swings. The fewest the swings. Things. Oh, Bird is going to get really Bird. mad about that one. I don't care, Bird. <laughs> Golf is... Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> don't finish that sentence. Uh, soccer. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, God. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got the leaderboard right here. I'll see how my boy Fleetwood did. All right, he, I'll leave it cut. Or he didn't play. <laughs> he didn't play. Yeah, ignore that. All right, never mind. <laughs> All so right. back, back on with the regular scheduled programming. Uh, the Premier League is in international break, which meant the U.S. men's national team played, and they beat Ecuador 1-0 on a Jesse Zardes goal, and the Ecuador coach after the game said it was the best U.S. men's national team he's played in a long time. So can I give you a take about Ecuador? Is there hope? Yes. What I've learned about Ecuador in my global political economy class, GPE, is that if you're ever looking for the perfect example of a country using dollarization, mm. as we call it, which is basically adopting the dollar as your yep. form of currency, look to Ecuador as a case study for that because they, I, I guess, they flawlessly transitioned to the dollar somehow and their economy has become stable ever since. They're pegged to the dollar, not not a soft peg, like a hard peg. Hard peg. Um, and yeah, so if one, if you ever hear anything about Ecuador, just know that their economy was terrible and now they're dollarized and everything's in dollars and they're doing all right. Unlike Argentina, who has the peso, peso. is a complete disaster zone. So if you can note something from that, maybe everyone just goes to the dollar and then you get the U.S. is just in charge of the world's currency. I couldn't see a problem in that at all. Yeah, let's just have the U.S. dominate the yeah, you know, currency landscape. Yeah. What what country are you doing your uh, your project, your paper on? So I actually have two projects for countries. Whoa. I have the one in this global political economy class, which I'm doing Cameroon. Oh, fun. Which, fun fact, their currency is with five other countries, and they're pegged to the euro. Oh. It's a little bit different. And then my other co- my other class is Turkey. Oh, you have Turkey for, and for Erasmus. And I couldn't tell you the first thing about their currency. I haven't looked into it yet. That's okay. Well, I mean, outlines due Thursday, but... Me and Nick haven't gotten to that yet either. I'm glad that you're stepping ahead of your game. Good for you. <laughs> hey, we have a quiz tomorrow. I've been focusing on that. And so skipping then to around the Nova Nation here as we wrap things up. Uh, women's basketball won their first round NIT game at the Pavilion, 86-81 in overtime. Uh, Brianna Hurley hit a buzzer beater to send it to overtime. Brianna Hurley is from Braintree, Massachusetts. They are a rival high school of mine, for the record. She has like three state championships at Braintree. She was unbelievable. There you go. And then Nova yeah. lost. Yesterday, apparently, there's also a, also a stunning rendition of the national anthem at the NIT game on Friday, according to Shannon and Jules. So that's pretty cool. Cool. Alrighty. <laughs> uh, softball beat Seton Hall sixteen to zero over the weekend. So a lot of runs. Uh, that, that's got to hurt for the Pirates. What mascot is Creighton? Creighton's Blue Jays. Blue Jays. I knew they were a bird. I know they were Blue Jays or not. What made Old you... Dominion? That's the one I was. I was. Uh, I was say what made you? Ask <laughs> well, I, about I, I, I'll be honest. My thought process right there was I was thinking Old Dominion, but I couldn't remember Old Dominion, so I didn't want it to sound dumb. So I said Creighton instead. But in reality, what mascot is Old Dominion? I'm pretty aren't, sure, like, aren't they the I, Monarchs? I thought they were pirates or something. Are they not? Yeah, I thought they were the pirates. I, I could have sworn that they were pirates too. Saw that I had a huge debate about this, but what old what Old Dominion? It wasn't a debate. It was more a general question, and no one wanted to look it up. It's a friendly lion who is the king of the monarchs. So I'm taking a friendly your, lion. So I'm taking a victory friendly on that. Friendly lion. Yeah. Don't go to old Dominion. Don't. Yeah. All right. Scratch. If you're looking at it, scratch that one off the list. But I said monarch, so I'm gonna say close enough. Uh, men's lacrosse rebounded from a three-game losing streak with a 12-8 win at Fairfield. Also beat Brown today, 10-9. So the boys are back on track. And speaking of back on track, we have a track update. Wow, that was a really good transition. Go. Patches Conrad <laughs> finger guns. <laughs> All right. Uh, so it was it was a it was a good weekend. Everybody got back out on the track. Christopher Morris ran. Chris 
did run the one and the two. It's been a while since he's been in a meet, but he did did really well for himself there. Um, a couple of guys PR'd, and just it was really good to get most of the team back running outside, especially for the hurdlers. And uh, then there's this weekend where we send some guys to Stanford for some regional qualifiers, and same with sending some guys to the Florida Relays, which is always a fun race and a fun meet to be at. Um, so stay tuned with that. See how that all goes next week. Conrad, you forgot the best part of the track meet this weekend. The photo shoot after. Oh, yeah, there's a photo oh, shoot. Oh, oh, the sprinters. Oh, yeah. was there a photo shoot? Yeah, make oh, sure yeah. make sure to check out Fast and Fire on Instagram. 120 and pictures were taken, but one was posted on Instagram. Yep. You see the best one on Instagram. Yep, see the best one on Instagram. Faster than fire. They're make, not, make sure you go. Don't even try to defend yourself. I was not in all of the pictures. I don't believe you for a second. No, no he wasn't. Was to not. be fair, he wasn't. I was, I was only in a select few. And Bonrad was busy running, you know, and, uh, and practicing and getting. Models, I was figuring out pictures. who I had to drive home. <laughs> uh, oh, that. There's that. So that's our show. Yep. Also, <laughs> on th- on Thursday is Conrad's birthday. So we got a 21st coming yeah. up. Yeah, Conrad. Woo! So he Thanks. might he may or may not be here, but we'll we'll celebrate regardless. And um, so any any final thoughts, guys? I really hope this phone call that I was on hung up. Yeah, that'd be that'd be good. I I'm, think you finally connected to me. Because I'm gonna hear about it otherwise. Oh Lord, I've been on for 52 minutes and 40 seconds. <laughs> All right, so the phone call has not, <laughs> not been disconnected. But as always, thank you to everyone for listening. Check out the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. It might be a few technical difficulties, but this one. Yeah, we'll see how that one goes. But we're gonna I try. Was in charge. Yeah, because never goes Because well. my audio program was crashing, so we're gonna see how this thing goes. But again, thank you to everyone so much for listening. We will be back at it next Monday. This is Round Tripper on 891. For Matt Wood and Conrad Bayer, I'm Pat Zang. And go, go Cats. You just stole my-